apostles, or as we would say, the apostolic prayers. And we have been in the second prayer for four weeks, I think now, of the Apostle Paul that we find in chapter 3. And so we've been reading the same text. These are prayers that we really should be memorizing. And this prayer this morning focuses on the dimensions of God's love. So I invite you to join me as we begin our reading in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why? That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray for your anointing today upon these lips and upon our ears that we would hear only what the Spirit is speaking to the church today. And that as we have a radical encounter with the engrafted Word of God, it becomes a part and a parcel of who we are, that we might always live to your great honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. This theme that we have been looking at, the love of God is so vast. I mean, really, how can it be otherwise? It is so colossal. I do not even have enough adjectives to begin to describe the love of God. I mean, after all, does not the scripture say, God is love? I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? That tells us that those three little words not only define for us how God responds to us, but it defines for us who God is in his very essence. You know, in life, we can talk to people, and they can fool us by their words. They can say, I love you, but they don't demonstrate that they love you. <laughs> or they love you as long as you are lining up to their agenda, and if you step out of line with how they want you to think and act and speak, then they stop loving you, but God is love. Aren't you thankful for a heavenly father who is in his very essence and in his person, he is love. Oh, the magnitude of the love of God. If we could only wrap our minds around who he is. Paul, by the spirit, received the revelation to a degree of the magnitude and the vastness of that love. And so because he experienced it, 
He, he came to know it and experience it. He now prays it for the Ephesian Christians. And the Holy Spirit preserves that prayer for us in the word of God that you and I now, as children of God, can also pray it. To pray to come to know the love of God in all of its dimensions. See, it's not enough just to believe that God is love or just to sing the little ditty, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I, you know what? I wish we could sing them some Sunday morning. They're not songs just for the children because Jesus said we must become like little children. And oh, if we could only have that childlike faith that believes that Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Do we need any other proof? If God says it, then we need to believe it. We need to embrace it. We need to know it. We need to experience it. And this love of God is something that is not only to be grasped intellectually. Certainly we need to grasp it. But it needs to become the very foundation of our life. We cannot build an effective, successful, blessed Christian life unless we know in our knower that is not here but here that I am loved by God. And it becomes part of our DNA. You know, there's much about God and the Bible that all of us would admit. Some we know, so much we do not know. But this we must know beyond all other knowing that God loves me. Because when you know that, there is a radical change and transformation that takes place in our lives. You know, some of us have been wounded in our childhood that made us distance ourselves from love, showing love and even being loved. But when Jesus comes into our lives, he wants to make a radical transformation. That's why the scripture says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. God makes us new. The problem is we just don't align ourselves with that newness because we're still walking according to our soul instead of what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that God loved us even when we were sinners. He died for us. How much more, how much more does He love us today that we are His sons and daughters. This is a revelation that only comes by the Spirit. And so we need to have the capacity of our hearts enlarged and enlightened and illumined by the Holy Spirit so that God can give us what he wants and what we so desperately need. You know, the Apostle John <clears throat> says in his first epistle, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. I just want to stop at that word, behold. I think you've heard me say in the past, anytime you see that word in the scripture, it's like the railroad sign. 
What do you do? And this is going back to our childhood for many of us that you'd come to a railroad and the sign would be there. Stop. Look. Listen, there is something of great importance that is to follow that word, behold. So you need to pay attention to what is being said here. You know, in the craziness of the pace of our lives today, we're often told, take time to stop and to smell the roses. Well, if we're being admonished by our friends and others who will tell us, take time to see. You're, you're, you're just in too much of a hectic pace. Your life is out of control. You need to stop. You need to slow down and smell the roses. You know, that's an important axiom in life. We get so taken up with life that we don't stop long enough just to appreciate the beauty of the day. I mean... How could you walk out of your home today and not say, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day? But some of us are in such a frenzy, we're not even thinking that the sun is shining, that the temperatures are perfect, and that we're alive. And God has given us life and breath to praise him. And we're going to his house today. If you've come here, oh, in a huff and in a puff, it's Sunday and I, I just don't have time. And, oh, yeah, I know I need to be in church because it's the Christian thing to do. But I've got so many other things to do. You're, you're missing out. You're missing out. And if it's so important to do that in life, how much more important is it to behold the amazing love of our amazing God. I think we all need to admit this morning that we spend a lot of time thinking about our problems. But there is nothing more important to us as believers, as sons and daughters of God, than to place our focus and our attention on this foundation for life and living, and that is God loves me. God loves me. If when in the midst of a trial, when in the midst of a difficult situation, when in the midst you feel like the world is caving in on you, stop and think and say, God loves me. I love what Andrew Murray would say, in the midst of his difficult trials and tests of life, he would stop and think about what was most important, that God loved him, God had a plan and a purpose for what was taking place in his life, and he was able to trust implicitly in a loving Heavenly Father who knew how and when he would get out of that trial and it would be used for his good and God's glory. What more could we want? And yet we still succumb to the suggestion of the enemy and we put our heads, uh, we bury our heads in the sand as if we are the most defeated people on the earth, as if we had no God, as if we didn't know what the word said, that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but I am with you always. 
And he didn't say we wouldn't have problems, but he said, be of good cheer, I've over the, overcome the world, and I'm the God who is in you, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So instead of spending so much time brooding over our problems and our heartaches and our pains, let's, let's shift our focus to the love of God. Behold what manner of love. Stop, look, listen, consider it. Set your gaze on the love of God. We all know the golden text of the scripture, don't we? John 3, 16. We know it so well, we don't even quote it anymore because it was probably the first Bible verse that we learned by memory. But when was the last time you stopped to drink in the truth of this scripture? In the original Greek, it really most accurately reads, for so loved God the world that he gave the Son the only begotten one, in order that anyone believing into him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Just for a moment this morning, I want us to focus on that word, so. I think as we read this verse of scripture, we'd all agree that the statement is saying that God loves us in such an astounding and an astonishing way that how in the world can we ever begin to measure a love like that? God so loved the world. Can we put a yardstick to that so this morning? Can we determine the breadth of his love, the length of his love, the depth of his love, the height of his love. That's the focus of Paul's prayer here, that we would comprehend. You know what that word comprehend means? It means understand, but it means far more than that. That we would comprehend, understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> See, it's so vast. It's so magnificent. It, it's, it's so undefinable that we can never fully know it. But I'm so grateful that as we walk this pilgrim's pathway, God says, as you keep an open heart to me, incrementally, I want to reveal measure upon measure upon measure of my love. I think that's what the scripture is talking about in 2 Corinthians, uh, what is it, 3.18, that we are changed from glory to glory because we read in this passage of scripture that when we are filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? It's the revelation of his love. And when we get that revelation of how deeply he loves us, he changes us from glory to glory. Oh, we say, Lord, I, I, I want to be changed. Lord, I want to conform to your image. He, he, you know what he's saying to us today? Well, let me pour in a little bit more of the revelation of my love to you. 
Let me read this verse in the Passion Translation. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this verse of Scripture. He said, in this measurement, may you and I be skilled. I think he was talking to me because math is not my subject. He said, if we know nothing of mathematics, may we be well-tutored scholars in this spiritual geometry and be able to comprehend the breadth and the lengths of Jesus' love. I want us to see two things here about this verse. First of all, Paul is speaking about knowledge. There are certain things that, why do we have the word of God? That we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is not black ink on white paper. This is the living word of God. God breathed his word and those instruments human as they were that he chose to pen those words were not the words of the apostles or moses or anyone else who is the author of one of the books of sacred writ these are the words of the living god words that will increase our understanding and knowledge of who God is. And concerning the love of God, Paul says, it is something that we need to know, and then it is something we need to experience. As I said already, it needs to translate from here in our mind down here into our real knower, where we experience the reality of it. Do you know they are two completely different things? There are so many Christians that can say, I know that God loves me, but the reality is they're walking around as orphans as if they have no heavenly Father who indeed truly does love them. You know, a deaf person can know the story behind every great symphony, but sadly they do not have the hearing mechanism to listen to the beautiful music that was penned. A blind person can know every fact about the great da Vinci or Michelangelo, but they do not have eyes to see the beauty and the majesty of their artistry. I ask you this morning, do you, you understand what the Bible says about God's love for you? But do you also experience it in your daily life? Paul wants us to know its boundless dimensions that will move us into the experience of it. Let me give you some ideas of what I'm trying to express here and to illustrate. See, the dimensions of God's love 
are boundless. He gives language here to try to begin to help us to understand the magnitude of which he is speaking. But there is an infinitude to the love of God that it becomes beyond our comprehension. It comes, goes beyond our thinking. Like this illustration that I'm going to share with you. Did you know that our observable universe... Now, we know that scientists tell us, astronomers tell us that beyond our observable universe, there are other universes. But with our modern-day telescopes today, we have been able to determine that our observable universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. Now, I already told you math is not my subject. Michael, I need your help. But that means if you were to travel at the speed of light, and the speed of light, if we need to be reminded, is 186,000 miles per second. If I am not careful on 295, it's very easy to go 80 miles an hour, and my wife will look at me and say, you're flying. How, what's your speed limit? What are you doing there? And that's 80 miles an hour. How does 80 miles an hour compare to 186,000 miles a second? So traveling at the speed of light, it would take thousands of years to traverse the universe from one end to another at that speed. Does that give you some idea of how gargantuan our universe is? How massive? I, I mean, the English language fails to begin to be able to describe the, the greatness of this universe in which we live. And if Jesus' love can be compared to the universe, then it's even bigger than that. The second thing we need to see here is that understanding is not limited to just a few saints. Paul says, and with all saints. You know, somehow in our twisted theology, we have this idea that brother so-and-so who really prays a lot, well, they're worthy of getting these revelations. But, you know, I'm not as spiritual as they are. I've said this before, God doesn't have favorites. He loves us all equally. He is no respecter of persons. And he wants every one of us to have as much of him as we will open up our hearts to receive. And if we're not receiving it, it's our fault because we're just shutting ourselves. You know what we're doing? We're listening to the lies of the enemy. The enemy doesn't want us to get God, so he'll condemn us. He'll put guilt on us. He'll make us feel ashamed. God doesn't love me. I blew it this week. I messed up. How can I approach God? How can I open my heart to God? The devil is a liar. Open your heart to God because he wants to pour in beyond anything you could think, ask, or even imagine. That's how much he loves us. And so now, to comprehend 
with all the saints. We said that that means understand, but it means something far more than just understanding. There's nothing passive about this word in the original language. In the original language, the word is catalambano. Catalambano. Can you say that word? Catalambano. That's a word I want you to learn because I want you to understand the meaning and embrace the meaning so we could capture the answer to Paul's prayer as we apply this to our own hearts. Catalambano means to take hold of something, to make it my own. It means to seize it, to take possession. It's not sitting back in a classroom and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to allow my mind to wander here. I don't care what the teacher is saying because I really don't need to understand what they're saying. I guess you think you're, you're an Einstein and you're going to get an A regardless of whether you hear it or not. But God says, if you will kata lumbano, if you will lay hold of this revelation... We are to understand the word of God. We are to lay hold of the word of the love of God. We are to seize the revelation of the love of God. It's the same exact word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.12, a verse that we're so familiar with. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apt that I may catalambano, that I might seize that for which Christ has seized me. Did you know that, Christian? That God has laid hold of your life for a divine purpose? And now are you living your life with the same passion that he had for laying hold of you that you could say, now, God, that you've laid hold of me, now that your love fills my heart, I want to love you back with all that I am, with all that I have. So let me seize my destiny. Let me seize my purpose. And let me tell you something, it goes far beyond just sitting in this church on a Sunday morning. I love you for being here on a Sunday morning. I love seeing my family here on a Sunday morning. I love seeing my, my children, as John said, walking in the truth and prospering in the ways of God. But you and only you can do what the Word of God says. Catalambano, seize the revelation of the truth of the love of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, have we considered the breadth of God's love? How wide is the love of God? For God so loved the world. Is anything excluded when you say he loved the world? His love is broad enough to include every person on the face of this earth. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. 
God is not looking at those with a certain socioeconomic status. His word declares, whosoever will come ye sinners lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood will make you clean. There is no one outside of this revelation and this provision of the love of God. He is longing, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Faber expressed this dimension in that old hymn that some of you may know. There's a wideness, I like that, a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. This is the time of the year you, you get down to the shore and you look at that ocean. You can't see the end of it. That's just a, a tiny little picture of the love of God. There is an end to that ocean somewhere, but there is no end to the love of God. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind and the heart of the eternal is so wonderfully kind. Ponder the breadth of the love of God. Ponder the length of the love of God. To what lengths will the love of God go? Length conveys the endless character of the love of God. You know what that word endless means? It means endless. There is no end to the love of God. I love this verse in Jeremiah where we read these wonderful words. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Maybe we need to say that today. God loves me with an everlasting love. Let me hear you say it. God loves me with an everlasting love. This dimension reminds us that God's love began in eternity past. Huh. Think about that this morning. Some of us think, oh, God demonstrated his love when he died on that cross. No, he loved us in eternity past. Before we were born, he knew we would come to be and that we needed a savior. And he loved us before we were ever known by anyone else. We read these words in Revelation 17 and verse 8, that from the foundation of the world, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Child of God, do you know this morning, no matter how much you've blown it since you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God never stopped loving you? Oh, granted, we will grieve his heart. And as parents, when our children go wayward, do we stop loving them? Certainly not. We love them all the more because our heart is aching because we know what they could have, but what they're not getting because they're going down a wrong path. How much more the heart of the love of God. And what a staggering thought to contemplate today that I was known by Christ in eternity past. I was an object of his love, and he set his affection upon me. 
His love today is long enough to get us through life's journey. And all of us, can we not witness to the reality and the fact that hitherto has the Lord helped us? Hasn't his love sustained you through every trial, through every test, through every problem? I know that when we're going through it, we think this is the end of the world. But then we get through it and we almost forgot that we ever went through it. But that's the love of God that will see us through every situation that we will ever deal with. It will keep us to the very end and will carry us into eternity. God's love will never change. It will be without interruption. It never varies. It is always the same. Whatever may happen in this world or in your life, God's love never quits. It continues to go on. That reminds me of Psalm 46, doesn't it? Though the earth be removed and be cast into the sea, <laughs> the psalmist knew something that was immovable and unchangeable, and that was God who was his refuge and his rock. What is that refuge? What is that rock that we have in life? God loves me. His love is so long, it will never end. His love never suddenly ceases and then starts all over again. <laughs> it's an unchanging love. So ponder the length of God's love. But let's also consider the depth of his love. To what depth would God stoop to save the likes of you and me? Some of us would think, well, let's turn to the Gospels and read about the passion of the Christ. That's the revelation of God's love. You know, it begins before that. We already said that in eternity past, he loved us. And that from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. But if you look at Philippians chapter 2, a passage of scripture there that Bible scholars call the kenosis. I didn't make a slide of this, but it's K-E-N-O-S-I-S. -S, and it means the self-emptying of Christ. You know, we're so guilty of just reading over some verses of scripture, skimming over them, and they contain the most staggering words that you will ever, ever read. In Philippians chapter 2, we read about the depths to which Christ's love would take him. Paul tells us in that passage that God the Son was in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, and he was co-equal with God the Father. Jesus is not less than God the Father. The Trinity is a doctrine that declares God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal. They have different roles, yes, but in deity, not one is less than the other. And concerning God the Son, the scripture says he humbled himself. 
I don't know about you, but sometime as a human being, because of my carnal, sinful nature, it gets really difficult to humble myself. Even in simple things, when, like, I may have blown it with my wife, when I may have, you know, got a little out of sorts and said something in a cranky tone that offended her. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit reminds me, you are wrong. And you need to repent. But that ugly pride rises up and says, but she did whatever she did to prompt whatever I said. And so we want to excuse it and rationalize it away. And it's hard for us to humble ourselves. You know, our marriages would be a lot happier if all of us would learn how to humble ourselves and be the first to say, I'm sorry. Even if you weren't wrong in what you did, or I like what Mike Bickle says, even if I'm 99.9% .9 right, God tells me I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church, therefore I need to humble myself and say I'm sorry. I confess, I've not arrived by any means. Have I, honey? And she's shaking her head. But think about God, the Son of God, who dwelt in the palaces of heaven, would be willing to humble himself by coming to this earth, by being encapsulated into the womb of the Virgin Mary, by going through the birth process, by wearing a diaper, by being lain in a manger. That was God, the one who created the worlds, the one who was the adoration of all of heaven. He humbled himself. He divested himself of his eternal glory and became a man, laying aside all the prerogatives of what it meant to be God. And so therefore, he was weary, he became tired. I think he had aches and pains because he had a human body. Even in the midst of the storm, he was so tired that he was sound asleep. It was God incarnate in human flesh. Why did he do it? Well, we know the answer, so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for sin. So well does the Apostle Paul say, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But consider the depth of his love. That would cause him to stoop to such a degree that he would go as a lamb before her shares is dumb and not open his mouth. When he was accused, when he was ridiculed, when he was blasphemed by those who claim to be the most religious people in the land, the most God-fearing, the most God-loving, the ones who knew the word of God, yet they hated the Son of God. 
and then by the hands of cruel sinners, arrested, unjustly condemned, mocked, scorned, spat in the face. His beard was plucked out. Did you ever try to pluck out a hair off of your face? It hurts. The indescribable sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ are something that you and I with these finite minds will never ever be able to comprehend. How he was whipped with the Roman scourge which had bits of glass and metal that tore and lacerated his back. See the depth of his love as he staggers under the weight of that cross that he carried till Golgotha's hill. And then there he was nailed to that cross. Why did he do it? The next slide. All for love. All for love. He endured the wrath of God. I don't think when Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't because of the human suffering. It was because he, as the spotless son of God, would take upon himself my ugly, shameful sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world. How can we fathom the depth of his love and that by taking on that sin and suffering the very wrath and anger of God that God could not even look upon his son he became the ugliness of sin and the holy God forsook his son in that hour Jesus suffered there alone and when he cried, it is finished, he was taken from the cross. The author of life, the creator of everything that is, dead and buried in a grave. Such is the depth of his love. Deeper than the deepest ocean. Do you know how deep the ocean is? At its greatest depth, it is 32,600 feet deep. Here's another number I don't think that we could really understand, but let me illustrate it by saying you could plunge Mount Everest into the ocean and there would still be a mile of water above that mountain. That's how deep the ocean is. Maybe I could illustrate it better by saying this. Those of you who are familiar with this community, if you take a left out of our parking lot and start driving down High Street, keep driving until you get to the very end. You go into Mount Holly, and then you come to Washington Street. That's six miles. That's how deep the ocean is. But if Jesus' love is to be compared to the ocean, it is Deeper still. Oh, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we can begin to fathom and understand how deep 
the love of God is. And when you're going through that test, and when you're going through that trial, the enemy is telling you, God doesn't love you, but I want you to know that his love is so deep that it's able to carry you through your deepest discouragement, through your deepest despair. And even when you face death, it will carry you through the gates of death into the portal of glory. That's how deep the love of God is. But as deep as his love is that would take him to such degradation, it is that high that lifts us also up to glory. His love is so high that the scripture says that even when we were uh, his love is so high that the scripture says when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus raised us up out of the dead. You know, most of us think about salvation only in terms of, well, I'm so glad that I'm saved because Jesus forgave me all of my sin. And that's, that's so essential. I mean, we can't have a relationship with God. We can't become his sons and daughters without forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't stop the height of God's love does not stop with, I'll blot out your sins and I'll remember them no more. He didn't die just to forgive us. He died to bring a divine exchange into our life. Our lives of sin and shame for his life of grace and glory. <laughs> Do you remember what it was like before you came to Jesus? Do you remember having those hangovers on Saturday night and how miserable your life was? Do you remember what it was like when you were enchained by, by the enemy and you couldn't find a way out? You had no peace. You had no rest. You had no joy. You had no grace. You had no love for yourself or anyone else. And then Jesus comes in and he radically changes it all. His love is so high. He says, now I'm going to seat you at my table. I'm going to allow you as my child to crawl up into my lap so I can hold you close to my heart. I'm going to make you my heir and you will be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. But it even goes higher than that. No, no, no. It's not enough that you're my son and daughter. I want to make you my bride. I want you and me to become one. I want you to be able to know that you belong to me and I belong to you. His love is so high that it knows no bounds. And when Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I love them so much that I want them to be where I am. And so now we go through life with all of its trials, with all of its tribulations, knowing that someday we will be with him, not only for time, but for all eternity to enjoy the ever-deepening revelation of the love of God. So I want to ask you this morning, as we've made this very feeble attempt to catch a small glimpse of the incomprehensible and immeasurable love of God, that if you're sitting here and you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you're down in the dumps, 
if some spiritual lethargy is taken over and you, you can't read your Bible or you can't pray, you're so downcast you feel like giving up, the antidote to all of that is to gaze once again upon the love of God, to meditate on it in all of its vast dimensions, to see how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Can we make it our prayer today? God, I want to catalambano. I want to comprehend, not only with my mind, but with my heart. I want to seize upon the revelation of the love of God. For when we do, we can go through life with the confidence of the Apostle Paul, as written in Romans 8. So now, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the entire universe which has the power to separate and forgive me I personalize this to separate me from God's love I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death life's troubles fallen angels dark rulers in the heavens there is nothing in my present or future circumstances that can weaken his love there is no power above me beneath me, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance me from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon me through Jesus Christ. Oh, can you say thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord, for such love. Thank you, Lord, for such mercy. Thank you, Lord, for such grace. And it's the confidence that I could have and walk through life, through all of its vicissitudes, through all of its trials, through all of its tribulations, through all of its heartaches, knowing God loves me. In closing, the hymn writer caught a glimpse of it when he penned those powerful words that we want to sing as our closing hymn this morning. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, next slide please, unmeasured, boundless, free. I just had to stop and look at those words. How do you describe the love of Jesus? It's vast, it's unmeasured, it's boundless, it's free. You don't have to earn it, you don't have to buy it. You can't even deserve it. That's what a gift is. It's given freely without regard to merit. It rolls as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me. The current of thy love leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never. 
nevermore. Stand with me this morning as we sing it together and meditate upon the deep love of Jesus.